0: What's up? This is Matt Dietzon. This is none of my business. This is the show where I get to sit down and talk with smart and creative and ambitious leaders and entrepreneurs who are in the middle of their journey because no one's given a playbook at the beginning of a journey like this. So I invite people on to share their journey for us to learn from them. And today in the show I have Coach Naylor. Coach's name is Isaac, but I think he likes to be called Coach. So he has an awesome story to share. Coach is a motivational speaker and he's got a great path on how he got there. He, early on in his life, was put in a position where he had to grow up really fast and he had to take over really a family business when he was, I think he was around 20 years old, and uh, to take care of his mom. And uh, so that story is really inspiring and interesting, and in how he did that. And so after that, he went into coaching, as, as you can imagine. Um, he played football in high school, and he spent um, a long time. He got recruited and wound up coaching high school football. And um, I love talking to coaches because being on part of a team and being a coach or a player, there's so much that is learned and taught about life. And it can translate directly into business, you know, working hard, um, playing with a team, uh, working with leaders and leadership. And how, all of that translates into so many different things, especially, you know, uh, running a business, being a good person, being a good partner, uh, communication comes out, playing hard, giving your best. I, I love all of that. And so, and then he's translated that into other things, including uh, speaking and coaching career. And uh, he also, Um, is a mortgage broker so um, coach thank you so much for coming on thanks for sharing your story with us it's inspiring and um, let's just get on with it all right here we go all right well I am joined today with Isaac Naylor who is an empowerment coach keynote speaker he's also a lender he's a father he's a son he's a husband he's collecting the whole set Isaac thanks for coming on today
1: Oh, you bet, Matthew. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, you bet. So, uh, I'm excited to hear kind of what you've got to share. I think you've got a lot of experience and a lot of stories to tell that are going to help a lot of people. So, why don't we start real easy. Tell me where you're from.
1: Born and raised in uh, Boise, Idaho. Oh, a native. Yeah, Idaho native. Hard to find nowadays, it seems like.
0: Yeah. Uh, Where were your parents from?
1: So, my mother is a... Native of Idaho as well, my real father. I say real father because I had a real father and a dad. Yep. Two different people. Uh, my real father was an illegal immigrant from Costa Rica. Yeah. And then my dad was a multi-generational Idahoan as well.
0: You guys go back, huh?
1: There's a little bit of roots here. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, tell me what
1: you're doing today. Well, today I am an empowerment coach. So I help people level up in life, leadership, and business through a basic set of principles and guidelines, uh, six different modules that we use and we coach people through. I'm also a keynote speaker. I've got a few, uh, I've had a few events this month already this year. So we're getting some good momentum there. Nice. Got a couple of people asking me to potentially come out and speak to their entire company across country. So. That ought to be fun. That's good. And then I happen to uh, originate mortgage loans as well. What the hell, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm also a, also a youth coach. I, I, I've i been coaching uh, young men in football for uh, going on 23 seasons now. Nice. All right. Well,
0: we are going to get into all that stuff. Uh, so, gosh, you do all kinds of different things. Why don't we take it way back? So before you were doing... Um, you know, you've been lending for what? Do I remember like six years? Is, yeah. Is that right? Okay. Yep. So six years, how long have you been a keynote speaker? How long have you been standing in front of people? You of? know,
1: that's uh, something that football has really helped facilitate. Because sure. from the day one that I started f- coaching football, I had a captive audience. Yeah. Right there. Young men looking up to this, at the time, crazy mid-20s fellow that was just so passionate about football. and the lessons that it teaches us in life and how to be successful and communicate and all the things that team sports does for us. So I started that back in 2001 Okay. and I've always felt like being on stage or the center of attention was my calling. I just have always felt that way.
0: That's interesting. That's a tough place to be. The spotlight can be hot and bright. Um, yeah. So we're going to talk. I'm going to, I'm going to, dig into some public speaking techniques because I know I could use some help with that myself. I've done some speaking myself, but I still cannot get over the initial hump of, like, I get nervous, and you know, I I always do, you know, pretty good, but I still, it still gets in my head. I wish I could just roll up on stage with you know, bravado and confidence. not cocky, but you know what I mean. Just just bring the the audience what they, what's important to them, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And so, it's not about me, it's about what I can bring to them, and so I'm going to talk about that with you. But let's take it back. You have an interesting start to your story. I know that you were forced to take over, uh, you know, a small business um, under some, you know, unique circumstances when you were still a teenager, right? Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit about that and how you kind of got thrown into the fire early? We'll talk about what happened. You know what you learned, and and then we'll we'll take steps towards where we are today.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I have a real father Yes, and I have a dad. My dad was the person who raised me, taught me my morals, my values, my work ethic. He was a servant-based leader. And uh, I learned a lot of things from my real father of how not to be and a lot of things from my dad of how to be. And he was uh, a race car driver here in town, pretty prominent race car driver, the last name in, in this valley's been servicing people here since you know the 40s and 50s so we have a lot of history in lineage what here. kind of cars did he race super modified so it was an open wheel modified winged car mm-hmm. and uh man he was an adrenaline junkie and like speed you know unfortunately yeah. he got in a crash on october 17th 1992 at the marin speedway in bakersfield california and he didn't make it wow and uh Man, I remember the night vividly, 30, what year, I mean, two, that was almost thirty years ago. years ago
0: now. Oh, yeah, it's like 2023 now. Yeah, I know, that's why I had to, <laughs> had to hold on for a yeah. second
1: there. And uh, so, yeah, I remember I was at the Boise State-Weber State football game with my girlfriend at the time, and the game went into overtime, great game. We got in a fight on the way home or an argument about... You know, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Because I was a 19-year-old man, young man, I shouldn't say man, 19-year-old boy, right honestly. And the original plan was to go play college football, got in a car wreck right after I graduated high school, and knocked out a bunch of teeth, had a bunch of swelling around my heart. It was a bad deal. I was in the yeah. hospital for a couple of days, and... uh yeah, it just didn't work out. So yeah, was, that's, I, that put an abrupt end to, yeah. to that dream, unfortunately. So what are you going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to figure it out. We're business owners. We have a service-based station where people would come in and get their gas pumped, get their tires changed, their fan belts, their hoses, their water pumps, all that stuff, full service, right? right? We had emission testing vans or smog testing. Yep. We also had tow truck company. So we're entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. We work 24 hours a day. Seven days a week. Were you working in the family business, like through high school
0: and through you know, oh, college yeah. uh, and summers? And, through my youth. Yeah. Right. This
1: was uh, back when minimum wage was still in the threes. <laughs> and uh, I didn't even get paid to do that stuff. It's just, <laughs> boy, we're going to work. Okay. You know, and I'll go sweep the bathroom and empty the trash and mop the lobby and clean the floors and, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, so my dad dies our manager calls, I go to his house, he tells me, you know, what happened. And I was just absolutely devastated. The next day was the longest day of my life waiting for my mom and my uncle to drive home from Bakersfield, California. Yeah. And that was just, oh my gosh, terrible. So, you know, what, what are you going to do? I, I moved back in to my parents' house. And I had to take care of my mom and my sisters. I mean, that's just it. I had no choice. I mean, yeah. what, what else are you going to do? Yeah. I guess you could feel sorry for yourself and think that the world owes you something. Or you can strap, you know, pull up your pants, strap on your boots and, and become a big boy and go to work and take care of the family. So that's what I did. I I, I just did it out of. It was like instinct. A hundred percent.
0: Yeah. hundred you, percent. You knew immediately like what you
1: had to do, you had to step up, right? Never thought twice about it.
0: And do you have siblings? Do you have a brother? Is that right?
1: I've Well, that's a whole nother story. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I do have a half brother that I literally just found out about within the last few months. Oh my God. Uh, from my real father. Yeah. Whole crazy story. My aunt calls me up. Hey man, we think you got a half brother. He called up your uncle. He thinks he's his father. Obviously he's not his father. We need hair from your real father. Or a DNA test. I said, okay. oh, I'll take the DNA test. I got nothing to hide. You know, people are like, people get in trouble from the DNA test. I'm like, well, I haven't really done much to get in trouble and yeah. so I think i will okay. roll the dice on this. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay on this one. Uh, so, yeah, but he just came into the picture. But, yes, I have a, two younger sisters. So, I had one that was 14 and a half, freshman in high school, and one that was nine, almost 10 and Uh, so yeah i moved back in took care of mom sisters i remember doing a whole remodel all this stuff we had to just change things in the house
0: wow what a tough time i'm i have no doubt so what was it like to step up you know to that level of responsibility overnight i'll tell you what as a 19 year old i mean we i know at 19 i was i don't i you know i Probably would have done the same thing, but I, I, you know, I didn't have the tools yet, you know, right. you know, mm-hmm. so what was that like?
1: You know, fortunately for me, I already had a relationship with people in the industry because of who my dad was sure. and there was other Chevron owners that came to my help, but it was, uh, man, it was a whirlwind. I'll tell you, it just, all I knew is I had to go in there and learn the business I had to learn how to run the business.
0: You didn't and, even know what that meant yet.
1: I didn't even know how to do the books. Right. Right. I couldn't yeah. even run a ten key calculator for right. that. Right. Like and, how do you do payroll, right? right? And yeah. you've got employees and right. their
0: scheduling and how do you pay what taxes? You know, yeah. what about taxes? You know, there's so much.
1: Yeah, it was it was important because there was a good team that was that came around right we had a tax advisor there were some other people in the industry that came and helped our manager and lead mechanic stayed on board and then we had another friend that she really took on a lot of responsibility as far as helping with the books and learning the bookwork so i can just remember sitting in this little tiny office my dad had and just sitting there for hours just trying to figure out what these numbers even meant was it hard for
0: you or did some of it come naturally like i'm sure like you strike me as someone who's pretty street smart right so like the customer service and dealing with people and dealing with mechanics and all that stuff probably came pretty naturally to you but there's probably a part of it that was you know pretty foreign and you had to work a little bit harder and you had to really study what this meant or what that meant like how did those two like what did you do well right out of the gate and what did you struggle with
1: well I'm a former football player, so I was very coachable. And right. I was very eager to learn because it was super important to me that this made it. I had to take care of my mom and my sisters. Oh, yeah.
0: And there's a legacy there, too. hundred percent.
1: Right? Yeah. So for me, the easy part was coming in to the shop, coming in. Right. I already knew how to work on cars, but it was that business, yeah. that business part that I didn't have any experience him because my dad didn't want me to be a chevron lifer. Yeah. He thought there was better for me. So I didn't learn certain things along the way of how to run the business. But going and hooking up a car and towing a car or doing an emission test or I remember in the process we bought a new emission testing van that was like the number one in the state and I remember sitting down and doing negotiations with the guy. So excuse me, some of those things came very, very easily. I've always been a talkative personable person so -hmm. getting along with people is super easy but I think I really leaned hard on the lessons I learned from football and wrestling and doing the sports that I did growing up when it came to work ethic and perseverance and resolve right I, I was bound and determined there was nothing gonna stop me
0: awesome okay so how long did you run this shop
1: yeah uh good question so he died in October of 92 Mm -hmm. and it probably took three weeks before I was ready to go back into the station three or four weeks. We took that service base station, ran it. We lost our mechanic, opened his own shop, lost our other mechanic. We're like, holy cow. I I just remember hiring a couple other ones and we just did you know what we did and we ran that service base station for a good year or two but at the time you could drive around the valley and see a circle k or Mm 7-eleven on every corner yeah and so mini marts were a big deal and were the wave of the future and the service base station industry was dying out right cars were turning electronic and computerized and the dealership really had a stronghold on what was going on there and we lost our two best mechanics. So what we ended up doing is we went out and sought the team to help us tear down that service base station and turn it into a mini mart because okay. that's what my dad's dream was. So we got a 19-year-old Latino man and a 37-year-old widow running mm-hmm. these service base stations in gas and oil industry, which is 100% good old boy yeah. industry. I mean, it, it just is. And... When we started, we got a lot of resistance. Nobody believed in our plan. Nobody believed in us. They didn't think, you know, a 37 year old homemaker and a 19, 20 year old boy yeah. could do this. And so we finally found an architect that would help us. I actually went to school with his daughter. We graduated <laughs> together. Hell. So I think that played a part in it. And uh, there was another gentleman that had a lot of stations here in town that also said okay if you're going to do this here's what you do and we found somebody and uh i want to say like in 1993 to loan us 1.2 million dollars to go through this whole renovation progress and in 1993 that's a lot of money yeah it is i mean not that it isn't today but back then when they were i mean they were taking a chance on us And so we got the team and Chevron came together with us. And so we moved our service base station to another part. We moved our mission testing van we had there to another spot and we tore it down and it was crazy. They took, I remember sitting there and at the time it was El Cazador. Now it's uh, the pancake house, but I remember sitting there in the parking lot and just watching them tear this building down. That's all I'd ever known. And we're talking Thirty to forty-five minutes, and that thing was on the ground. Wow! I couldn't believe it. Wow! Uh, but it had started. That that started the trip, and so we ran that station till about ninety-eight. Okay, and that's when we sold the station. We approached uh, a local gentleman who is very prominent in the Chevron's, and uh, he ended up buying it from us. the guy that helped us, but I did. I approached John Jackson first, actually, from jackson's food stores i mean that's a pretty big company it is now and i I can remember sitting across the desk and i mean this guy's a multi-millionaire and here i am 20 21 year old kid trying to like pitch him on the sale he didn't buy it but he ended up buying it from the other guy we sold it from he should have just bought it (laughs) probably could have got a better deal
0: uh
1: what was the onus behind selling like I'll tell you, it was a grind and I mean a grind 24, seven, Cause at the time Chevron was making a stay open 24 hours a day. Oh wow. And so if the graveyard guy didn't show up, it was me. It was you. Like I had already worked that day. Then I'd go work graveyard. Then I'll work the next day. And, uh, my mom's significant other at the time helped us and he, man, he really helped us a lot, but you know, people would steal from you, and people wouldn't show up. And at the time, everything was really moving west. We were at the busiest intersection in the state. They had just punched Curtis through down. We're like, Hallelujah! Yeah. But it just didn't, it just didn't cash flow for us. And it really wasn't anything that I did because Steve Eddy couldn't make it cash flow, and neither could John Jackson. They just. You know, we thought, well, if you have multiple stations, then that's what helps it all, and it all goes into the pool. But it just didn't. And those emission testing vans saved our bacon. Yeah. They really did. Uh, so, so, were you
0: able to sell and like, kind of, you know, set your mom up, or like, were there profits? Like, what was the? Is that kind of what you were trying to do? Like, I just got to make sure my mom's okay. Hundred percent. So, yeah.
1: It was all about mom. Yeah. All about mom. Everything's about. Mom, I'm kind of a mama's boy. You yeah, can ask, you can can ask my wife. She'll tell you. Uh, but it was all about taking care of mom because my sisters were getting older at the time. And, you know, my oldest sister, even though she's younger than me, was married and had a baby. And, you know, my youngest sister, she was on her career path and super smart. Sharp as a, you know, sharp as a knife. Super, super smart. Uh, but the whole idea was, yeah, we're going to sell the station. We're going to keep the emission testing vans because they make money.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's going to take care of mom.
0: All right, so you sell and then you move to McCall.
1: I did. So we kept them we kept the station or the emission testing vans for probably another year or so. But I'll tell you, I was burned out. Yeah. You know, I didn't have the 19-year-old, 20, 21, 22, 23, in my 20s life that everybody else did. No. I was more living a 30s sure. and 40s life, right? So I was burnt out. My mom was burnt out. They were doing a bunch of changes in the emission testing world, and I just didn't feel like I could handle it the way that it needed to be handled because mm-hmm. I was just mentally checking out because of how much stress... Was constantly on us, yep. and so we found uh, some other people in the service industry that already had some emission testing vans and sold those, so mom could walk away, you know, with a profit. Now it's not something that set her up for life uh, by any means, but at the time it was the right thing to do. In hindsight, we probably should have just listened to mom and three storage units on the corner because uh, that seems like a pretty good. Those passive seem to be working. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, so it's at this phase in your life where I think you um became a coach.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I moved to McCall. Yep. And I think that was golly, I think that was in like November of ninety eight. Mm-hmm. We finally got out of everything and I just I needed to get away. My mom was, was with dating a guy up there that was a close family friend mm-hmm. and you know, they had a spark at the time and he owned a body shop and a tow truck company. So it was super easy, very comfortable f- for yeah. me to transition into that. Yeah. And I was actually on a tow one night. It was him and I actually, Rob and I were out on a tow, picking up this fella that had rolled his truck over mm-hmm. and Rob had been telling me, you need to meet this Joey Petrie guy. You need to meet this Joey Petrie. You and him are going to get along so great with your love for football. And I had always still loved football. Even when I was injured. I still thought I was gonna go play football and then my dad died the next year, right? So I still had that passion for football. Like everything that football and team sports teaches us can really help us succeed in life. Whether it's work ethic or teamwork or communication or responsibility, all these things that it teaches us. And so, man, we went and got Joey. I mean, this is the middle of the night here in McCall. Icy, snowy, terrible. We get him. And all I can remember is him and I get in the truck, and all we did was talk about football for the next 30 to 45 minutes. (laughs) The next day, we meet up, and he gives me these Bill Williams VHS tapes. Oh, yeah. And I live by myself in McCall, so I'm like, awesome. Let's go. So I start watching these tapes on coaching O-line. They needed help with their offensive line. I said, I'm going to help you guys. We're going to do this. I mean, I found it. And I had been trying to get into coaching throughout the years before Mm -hmm. that. Well, we go all spring and summer, and I'm working with these kids. And right as we're getting ready to start the season, I learned about the politics of football. There's politics in football? There are politics (laughs) in football. And so... Man, I'm so pumped. I'm like, I'm living the life. I live in McCall. It's a beautiful place to live. There's fishing and the lake and everything. And the head coach at the time, who was a little more conservative and calm, (laughs) calm is a good word (laughs) than I am because I'm a pretty high energy guy and uh, I'm pretty loud (laughs) and I'm excited and, you know, it's, well, let me tell you this. I drink decaf coffee. Because nobody wants to see me jacked up on caffeine.
0: You were unnaturally uh, caffeinated, hundred
1: percent. Yeah, and so he told me, "Hey Isaac, we're not going to use you." Oh wow! I mean, this is like two weeks before the season, and I was like, w- "What do you mean?" So I had some choice thoughts in sure. my mind. I didn't, I didn't say anything bad, but to him. But at the time, I was a young fella, and I had seen him in a dark alley. I probably would not have been so nice. Wouldn't have have shook hands. (laughs) But I'll tell you what is the biggest blessing that ever happened to me because then I called one of my old high school coaches that made a huge impact on my life. Said, Hey Coach Glenn, you need any help? He's like, as a matter of fact, I do. I need a freshman D line coach. There you go. Said, Great. He said, When can you be here? So I can be there tomorrow. And I lived him a call, right? Yeah. So I went and talked to him and I literally moved back to Boise that week. Just packed Just up the truck and boom. came home. Have a nice day. I'm mean, a single guy with a dog. What did I have? Right. You know. Yeah. And uh that was in 2001 and that okay. was at Eagle High School. And so the two people that I really owe most of my coaching career to get off the ground, first and foremost is Joey Petrie. Love that man. I absolutely love him to death. And then Coach Glenn, Mike Glenn. He wasn't even my position coach, but he made a huge impact on me. As a young man in high school, and I thought I, I want to be like that. Yeah, I want to share my love for football and make an impact on these young men's lives and show them, no matter what adversity you face, you can still move forward and be successful in life. Wow!
0: So how? So you went to Eagle?
1: I did. Yeah, we won the state championship my first year there. Look at that! I was uh, on the JV. I was the JV defensive line coach and then the varsity assistant, like the get back coach. And, uh, to me, that's the best of both worlds because I I don't have to come in on Sundays with the varsity guys, but I still get to be down on the field with the kids and stuff. How long did you coach at Eagle? I think I was at Eagle for six seasons. We, We had a rough year. Uh, Mike Glenn resigned, moved to Sun Valley, became the head coach at Wood River High School. They brought a new coach in. I coached the varsity for a year with them. And I was still a pretty young guy. At the time, I thought I was going to go coach college football. I was in with Coach Hawkins and Coach Peterson and those guys just because I was a a guest coach at Boise State, and they liked my energy, you know? And, uh, man, he's like, hey, you know, I want to bring in my own people after this last year, and I want you to go down to the JV. Well, at the time, I was pretty egotistical and full of myself, and uh, I think I was on 11th Avenue out in Nampa, between Eustick and mcmillan when i was like yeah i'm not gonna do that like no. good luck mm-hmm. thanks i appreciate it but that's not me and i had a younger stepson growing up at the time playing football so i really focused on coaching the youth with him and then just started coaching at football camps okay. and then i got my whole year's worth of you know high school excitement out in about a week and a half there you go and it was great and you know uh I met a gentleman during those football camps, Coach Viliami Tuivai, Coach V, and I learned so much from him about the power of positive coaching. Yes. Right? I came from an era where the coaches would grab your face mask. Are you effing stupid? Mm. You know, what, what's wrong with you? Like Woody Hayes. Like literally grabbing <laughs> face masks and shaking them. So the times had changed. And there was a different time and I couldn't remember, you know, my mom and my grandma always tell me, you get more flies with a drop of honey than you do a gallon of vinegar. And so I really took to coach V's style and I met him back in like, Oh, three ish, I think. And man, him and I just immediately, immediately clicked. And so I would really observe and pay attention. And I would go to watch his drills and go just see how he interacted with the young men that he was coaching. And I learned a lot and it really laid the foundation for how I became a coach and how I coached kids because I've considered myself to be a player's coach, right? I want those kids to know that I love them. I tell them, I love you, right? I think that's important. I tell them my job as a coach is to love you and teach you. Your job as a player is to love one another and be coachable. Yeah. I mean, that's it, right? Because nobody cares how much, you know, until they know how much you care. Yeah. And so I learned that from coach V and that actually is how I got to become a keynote speaker and, a, and an empowerment coach today was through my relationship with coach V. Awesome. And then did you go to Rocky at some point? Oh, I did. Yeah, I did. So, um, I'm coaching the football camps and I'm coaching the youth kids and my oldest freshman year. He's playing high school football and I'm watching from the sidelines and I'm not very good from the sidelines. I don't think you belong on the
0: sidelines. I'm (laughs) not.
1: You should even at my daughter's seventh grade basketball C team game like. My wife and son won't even sit next to me. Yeah,
0: like, go sit over there. They're
1: like, you need to be on the other side <laughs> of the court. <laughs> right, you're on the wrong uh, side. So yeah, no, not good in the stands. So ninth grade, I'm like, man, I got, I got to get back into this. And I was at Joe Mama's in Eagle, which holy cow, if you haven't been to Joe Mama's, fantastic. Love Joe Mama's. You and me both. And I saw my old head coach from Eagle. And he's like, well, where are you coaching full time right now? I'm like. Oh, I'm not coaching anywhere. He says, you need to come back and coach with us. I miss you. I said, okay, let me talk to my family. So like, first person I went to was my oldest because he's at Rocky and Eagles right below the hill. Yeah. Major rivals. Yeah. I was like, Hey, I, I have an opportunity to go do this. And he was like, and we have a pretty adult relationship. And he's like, F no, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> How dare way. you even entertain this. And I'm like, well, buddy, I want to get back into coaching full time and I don't want to mess up your experience. He's like, just come and coach at Rocky. You've yeah. already coached me. I coached with the, he's my stepson, him, his dad and myself. We coached him in optimist and flag football yeah. growing up together. And so he's like, come, come to Rocky. I said, okay. So I talked to my wife and I talked to his dad. Cause it was important for me to make sure everybody was on board with this. Cause if they weren't, I wouldn't have done it because it's all about the kids. Usually everything for me is about the other people. It's never about me. It's about the other people. Yeah. And I didn't know the head coach at Rocky. And so I called the head coach at Eagle. I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm going to pass my son plays at Rocky. Can you put a word in for me at Rocky? I'm not sure what kind of word was put in for me at Rocky. Uh, I know some of it wasn't great. I know, you know, when I was coming through Eagle, I was a young brash fella, just figuring it out. I hadn't coached the little, little kids yet. I hadn't learned to be a little softer and a little more fun. I can remember when I first started at Eagle, I would take somebody's helmet and go like do one-on-ones against them. And I played in a, in an adult league and, I don't consider it to be semi pro because I never got paid. Yeah. But a lot of people, oh, you played semi pro ball. No, I didn't play semi pro ball. It's a lot like a uh, softball league, right? We we're not getting paid to play softball. Right. I wasn't getting paid to do that. But I'd have the kids come out and watch me and I'd show them, Oh, did you see the did you see the chop spin? Did you see this? Is they're on the sideline watching. I'm literally coaching them through the uh-huh. drills, you know. And so anyway, my wife had a relationship with the head coach at the time at Rocky my oldest son. He's kind of a knucklehead sometimes. And uh, I can remember calling Scott Kreiner saying, hey, listen, this is who I am. You can check me out from Eagle. You can check me out with Chris Peterson. You know, I've worked at their camp plenty of times. I just want to come and help the program. Whatever that looks like. If you need a water guy, you need a film guy. I just want to be a part of the program. And he's like, yeah, no, I need an O-line coach said okay great i'll come and coach o-line and so i started at eagle starting with coaching offensive line he wasn't sure where he was going to put me i said i'll coach anywhere i just want to help you don't even have to pay me i just want to coach just let me be around it and understand when i say you don't have to pay me we're not talking Buku dollars here, right. ladies and gentlemen. Okay, <laughs> right. It's, I mean, we're talking like a thousand bucks, fifteen hundred bucks <laughs> a season, and, and you start in May and you end in November. Right. So <laughs> it's not really getting paid. No. Nobody's getting rich doing that. But anyway, he he brought me on board. Didn't know what to do, and I remember the first. It was one day before football camp, and their JV defensive coordinator and D line coach, who was a teacher there, had some major health problems. And he wasn't going to be able to do it so i'm there learning all the offense learning everything And the day before football camp he says hey i got a spot for you so okay because i was kind of in limbo i need you to be the d-line coach for the jv and and coordinate it at camp which starts tomorrow Mm -hmm. okay let's go so I just went to work. I just went and studied. Give me the playbook. I went to study it. I got, I mean, I remember grinding hard and just, I had to change my brain. And me and uh, Coach Koga at the time, the DB coach, it was only him and I. And we t- went to camp and, man, the rest is history from there. I became the JV co-defensive coordinator, the JV special teams coordinator, and the varsity assistant and special teams assistant. Uh, and I had an opportunity to go to varsity couple times there but honestly i wanted to go coach the freshmen because that's when they're brand new yeah raw you know right? and so finally i did get to the freshman uh, a few years ago and then this last year i decided to resign from rocky
0: all right well let's take all of this and talk about what you're doing today so like yeah. you're an empowerment coach is what uh-huh. you say what does that uh what does that mean who do you talk to? Who, 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 who hires you, you know? And then let's talk about what, you know, how you empower people.
1: Excellent. So you remember I mentioned, I had a good relationship with coach V Coach coachville. Yep. So a couple of years ago I'm grinding as a lender after a terrible financial and work decision I had made pretty much Lost everything. I'm not saying I had a lot, but when you lose everything, it's a lot to you, right? Absolutely. And uh, had to start rebuilding things. So I came into lending because I needed a way to leverage my strengths of being personable, likable. I've always had, you know, the gift of gab and the ability to sell stuff. So I was out to lunch with my mom and my sister. And I was like, I got to find something. What I'm doing is not working. It's going to cost me my marriage. It's going to cost me all everything financially. Like, I, I need to find something. And my sister says, you need to be an LO, brother. I said, awesome. I'm in. By the way, what's an LO? Right. <laughs> <laughs> she said, oh, it's a I'm loan ready. officer. Uh. So I, I, I went in, talked to her manager right there. This was during football season. And I get a little distracted during football season. And so after football season got over, I took the tests, I got licensed. And when I went back to her, she says, well, we're not taking in on any new LOs. I said, Oh, what year is this? Oh, what year are we in right now? It had to be 17, I okay. think 2017. Okay. And, uh, my wife, who's a realtor says, well, you need to go talk to these other people. I said, all right. So I went and talked to some other people, found a home, started becoming a loan officer. And, uh, I found a mastermind group full of realtors. I thought, this is great. I'm going to be the only lender in this mastermind group. I'm going to make so much money from these folks. Well, that's not how it worked out. (laughs) But uh, during one of these sessions about two years ago now, I was posed the question, if you could do anything and failure was not an option, what would you do? Well, I took this question to heart. Like, what would I do if I could do anything? Anything? Yeah, that's a good question. So, oh, and and most of the people in this mastermind group talked about their real estate business. I did not. Never even crossed my mind, yeah. honestly. The, so I'm sitting in the hot tub and I'm meditating on this. I'm big on meditation. And even though I'm a double, double fire sign, I really, really am at home with the water. And so... I'm meditating on it and I thought, oh, I'd be a professional football coach. That'd be so awesome go coach in the NFL. But then I thought, well, I can't take my kids fishing. I can't take them snowboarding. I can't go camping with my wife if I do that. Not for me. Mm -hmm. When my dad died, I really found peace, happiness, and joy in fly fishing and being on the water. So I thought, I'm gonna be a fly fishing guide. There you go. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. That's going to take all the joy out of it, right? Right. Now it's work. As I start weighing the pros and cons and just inspirational speaker and coach came to mind. It's something that I'd always had in the back of my mind of doing. I like being in public. You know, I've been in some different network marketing companies and I've been a speaker there before. I was always the guy to do the first speech or the first presentation in class, whether it was high school or college. And so I'd had some other people along the way say, you need to be a speaker. You need to be a speaker. People like to hear what you have to say. And I thought, why? I'm just a dude. Uh, right, right. I mean, I'm just a guy. I'm nobody special. I'm just a regular guy. I put my pants on one leg at a time, unless I'm laying down. Uh, <laughs> and then I just do it two legs just to be <laughs> right. goofy. Uh, well, I should say my shorts. I don't wear pants, but my shorts Your one shorts. leg at a time. Uh, but I'm like, all right, yeah, let's do it. And so when I, when, when I thought of that, During my meditation, I never had another thought. It just felt right immediately. And so I had stayed in touch with coach V and I told my wife, Hey, this is what I want to do. She's like, great. You need to go shadow coach V for a week, right? You need to go down there and see what he does. And lo and behold, within a day or two, Coach V reached out to me. I didn't even reach out to Coach V. I mean, I followed him on LinkedIn and Facebook and stuff and commented. But literally, within a day or two after this whole meditation manifestation time, Coach V called me out. Brother Naylor, this is what he calls me. Brother Naylor, what's going on? Oh, Coach V, how are you? It's so funny that you call right now. I was getting ready to reach out. I want to come and shadow you. He says, that'd be great. But if you really want to do what I do, you need to learn what I do and become a teacher of what I teach. And so we talked about it and I became one of his coaching clients under the agreement that I would go through the program and he would teach me how to teach it to others and be a keynote speaker on it. There you and go. So that was about two years. I guess we're probably getting closer to mo- moving on three years. No, two years ago. And so I went through the class and I'll tell you what, man, I had the two best years of my lending experience ever just based on the principles that we put together and the market was pretty dang good. It was good. Yeah. So, So what did he teach you? What are the six principles? So we have six different modules to success. The first module is knowledge plus accountability equals empowerment. All right. And so this is about an eight-week, I'm sorry, eight-month program to go through all six modules. Now, I have extended it to 12, especially because I think module one is very... Involved. All of them are. But module one, when we're breaking down the three components of knowledge and we're breaking down the four components of accountability and we're putting clearly defined processes that can create duplicable results and we're clearly defining our goals and we're reverse engineering. I just think doing all that in one month is drinking from way too big of a fire hose. Yeah, that's a lot. It is. And it takes change. You got to make changes. You got to change your daily habits. You got to change your daily routines. You got to change the way you think, the way you feel, the way you act, the things you say, the things you do. And iron sharpens iron. So you have to put good stuff in if you want good stuff to come out. So we spend a lot of time on module one, breaking, breaking all that stuff out. And then, uh, we just start going through the different, Modules. Uh, the second one is uh, winning hearts and minds through effective communication, with the definition of effective communication meaning the intended recipient receives the information the way it was intended to be delivered from the person delivering it. Okay. Which is a big deal. And empowerment, uh, the definition of empowerment is the granting of authority to someone to do or be something that they want to do or be. Okay. okay. So we're really, really big on defining things because success means something different to me probably than it does to you Yep. and probably to, than it does to each and every one of your list listeners. Right? right. So we spend two months basically on each module. And so module three, uh, we start going through, doing more, figuring out your calendar, prioritizing tasks, your most vital tasks. Because first and foremost, you got to stop multitasking. It doesn't work. And you find that you have to end up coming back to fix uh, whatever you did. And so each module has something that it focuses on. And, again, I I went – it's an eight-month program, but Coach V and I spent more – than eight months on it. It did. And so, you know, the other, the other modules as we continue to go through, you know, we talk about the seven alls and we have seven different areas of our life, familial, spiritual, health, financial, mental, relational, professional. And we put these on a scale zero to 10. Because people are looking for work-life balance, which, let's be honest, there's no such thing. Right, it is. However, if we can get ourselves to seven or above in these seven alls, then we can have what we believe is work-life balance. Because we're going to have the peace of mind knowing that all my systems and processes are in place. And when I leave the office and I close that door, I can put on my dad hat when I get home. And I can just focus on being a dad because familial is one of the seven alls. Mm Uh, And so we just continue to go through the different modules of empowerment. And after the first three, we do a review session Then we do the next three and then we do a review session again. And uh, it's a major life-changing experience if you are willing to make the changes right, right? are you willing because it's it's just a basic set of principles and an outline for people to follow and but you know what they say you can lead a horse to water right hell you can dunk the horse's head underwater but you still can't make it drink right as hard as you try so and the people that uh, we coach are individuals corporations companies you know people like nasa the secret service azusa pacific LAPD, Idaho State Police, DK Donuts, Jack in the Box. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Forty-two different industries that, frankly, myself and Coach V, we, we don't have a whole lot of expertise. I mean, I am not—I have no expertise in the Secret Service or NASA. I can tell you that much right now. Now, I've had a few DK Donuts in my lifetime, <laughs> right. so I might be able to give you some insight on that. But uh, it's really just a neat program. So, business owners, you know, a lot of, right now. I'm working with people in my industry other lenders real estate agents folks like yourself uh, you know in the insurance industry financial advisors small business owners sales folk because the times we're in right now are tough yeah you know when you hear everything that's going on and inflation and this that and the other and all this other stuff and people are just kind of wondering like okay well now what do i do where do i go from here how do i set myself apart during these what I consider to be bear market times. Right. And how do I become successful through this?
0: So how do people find you? You know, do they hire you for like a day? Do they hire you for a month? Like how, what is your, um, do you have different packages? Do you work with someone over a period of time? Do you come and talk to a group of people? Like, what does it look like for you to be doing this?
1: Yeah. Good question. So the coaching is real easy. Coach N-A-Y, L-O-R, it's like Taylor, but with an N. Yeah. You can contact me there, set up a phone consultation, a Zoom consultation, an in-person meeting. Because really, it's got to be the right fit. It's got to be the right fit, and the person's got to be willing to do it and make changes. So individual coaching, 100%. Uh, group coaching, 100%. I'm actually getting ready to start a mastermind group Nice. to go through this over a 12 month period, but where we all meet in person together, because I believe together we can create more than we can by ourselves. Sure. I like to call that synergy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I also do corporate coaching and speaking events. Absolutely. Uh, I just had some people actually from one of your competitors from Payne West reach out to me about speaking to all their people, uh, not just locally, but on the national level and going out to their national, nice convention and speaking to their 750 agents about this and so that would be something that would certainly be open to doing and setting up some sort of corporate coaching program for them where even if it's like a set of videos that I do and then they pay for the videos or access to okay. the video type thing
0: so how are you marketing your business right now like how are you finding people that that are a good fit for you? Are you out there, you know, hunting or are people finding you? You know, when you first start, you probably have to be, you, know, you have to seek, you know, new business and ideally down the road, you become referral based and things like that. So where are you in that when it comes to, you know, growing your, you know, your book of business and your clientele and things like that? Yeah.
1: It's open season. We're, yeah. we're, we're hunting. We're always hunting. Yeah. Always. Now, most all of my business, whether it be in lending, coaching, whatever arena is, is referral based, you know, Great. uh, it's that way because I'm a servant based leader. That's what my dad taught me, yep. you know, growing up servicing this Valley. And so I don't run like Google ads or Facebook ads or anything like that. I do have a, a website, coach Naylor LLC. The people can find me on Facebook there. And I think there's like, I think we put something out like once a month or maybe it's three times a week or something. I don't know we put stuff out on social media. When I say we, uh, one of the things in, in the first module is automating tasks, which mm-hmm. means finishing something with little to no effort. And so my social media, I try to automate that cause I'm just not a big social media guy. Probably yeah. should be. I know social media makes us money. Um, but yeah, right now it's just, you know, based on my speaking engagements and, speaking with people and following up with people and just, you know, doing the things that a a salesperson does to bring in business.
0: So when would you say is the right time for somebody to hire a coach?
1: I think if they don't have a coach, they should hire a coach, whether it's me or someone else, because we don't learn how to play musical instruments usually without some sort of teacher or coach. I mean, we can, but guess what we probably doing watching YouTube videos, what's that? That's using a teacher or a coach, right? We don't play sports without a coach. I mean, I didn't get into the lending industry without a coach and a mentor. I had to have that, right? I'm sure when you first started, you had to have a coach and a mentor to teach you certain things. So in my opinion, anytime somebody's trying to do it on their own, they should hire a coach.
0: Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about public speaking because mm-hmm. it's something that is uh, we all may have opportunities to do that at one time or another in our careers it's, it's hard it's scary um, what are some tips you can give to someone who has to give a presentation you know, to a group of people and they really want to bring it and they really want to do a good job and they really want to give the value, you know, what are some best practices for preparing and then maybe some best practices for like being on stage? Like how do you prepare and then how do you get up on stage, you know,
1: and bring it? Good question. The way that I do it. How do you teach it? Well, me and another fella are starting a class for that, actually. Uh, but really, it's, it's, it comes down to three things. You're going to go out there. Here's who I am. Here's what I'm going to explain to you. Then you explain it. And then this is who I was. am. And this is what you just learned. I mean, it's a basic formula of what you go down through. But the hardest thing is people get nervous i mean two things that people are most afraid of are what death and public speaking right? yeah hey just so you know everybody nobody gets out alive so you might as well embrace the journey why we have it <laughs> and secondly the people in the audience are on your side yeah they're not they don't want you to fail they don't want you. i mean because everybody in that audience is like oh my gosh i could never do that yeah right so for me it's if, if you have that trepidation about public speaking Get your presentation together and go do it in front of the mirror. Like, go look at yourself. Go see yourself so you can see your facial expressions, your hand expressions. Like, go through the whole thing. If it's a, whatever it is, 10 minute, 20 minute, 30 minute, 60 minute, you got to go through it. Because just like in football, soccer, volleyball, basketball, especially basketball, right? How do we learn how to shoot free throws? Repetition, repetition, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So it's the same thing. You gotta rep it. Yep. You gotta put it together and you gotta rep it. And so the way that I prepare and so I usually go back and look at my old presentations and decide they're junk and make a whole new one. Yep. <laughs> that's yeah. that's just what yeah, I do. Sure. Um and every new one I make is like, oh this is great. And then I go back, and I'm like,
0: that was crap. That
1: was <laughs> terrible. What is that? So What about like visuals, you know, a
0: slide deck or photos, or if you're gonna have something that's uh you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, how to use those and maximize, you know, what you're bringing? Um, you know, I've, I like having them, but I, I don't want to use a lot of them because I want them on, I want their eyes on me and not my slides, mm-hmm. you know, but I also think that it can enhance the presentation, you know, it can really add, you know, emotion and different layers. So like, what are your thoughts on, you know, having something, you know, uh, you know, visually to show.
1: Good question. Visual aids are important, but here's the thing that really cooks my grits, okay? I go watch somebody present, whether it's at a BNI group, a networking group, a big whatever it is, they put up a PowerPoint and they literally read the PowerPoint all oh, the way yeah. through. I hey, know. ladies and gentlemen, I can read. I got it. I graduated Boise State cum laude with a degree in English. I can read, okay? Right. So for me, and I just actually learned this from a from a friend who took a bunch of classes said, never have more than three things on your slide. That's good. That is good. Yeah, It's hard to only put three things on a slide. You'd be surprised. But it really helps you refine what you're bringing. You know, it takes out any
0: extraneous information that, that maybe isn't valuable. really, if you're going to have three things on the slide, you're going to make sure that those are the three most important things that they need to hear in that moment, you know? So I think that's good.
1: Yeah. And it keeps you on track for me. The, when I'm up there speaking, sometimes it's just source running through me and I'm just the conduit right for the message. And I need those slides to keep me on track <laughs> totally. <laughs> because sometimes I start going down some rabbit hole, like all of a sudden, Hey, I need to deliver this message. I don't know why this is coming to me, but somebody in this audience needs to hear what I'm saying right now. Right. So then I got to go, okay, where was I? Was what, what slide was I? Okay, here's where we are. You know? So for me, the slide is like keeping me on track. It's like yeah. having a little three by five note card. I know in it's my your hand. safety net, right? It is. Uh, but I mean, I, I'll break down each of the six modules on my slideshow and I'll put like one or two highlights, you know, maybe I'll put knowledge plus accountability or maybe I'll put the seven alls or maybe I'll put coach V's Baker's dozen to success, uh, to workflow or, you know, cause we have all these different modules creating your workflow and, the art of gratitude and appreciation, just these different things that we need to do. I think not only be successful in business, but in life.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you one last thing because you mentioned something earlier that I think is important for a lot of new business owners or people running their own shop or getting ready to, and it's about, you know, organization and using your you know time management, I think is mm-hmm is something that catches up with all of us at some point because there's always more going on than I think that we know that we're getting into. You know, I know yeah. when I started my business and it started to build and things like that, there were things that um you know, I was losing track of time, I was wasting time, I was trying to multitask and I was kind of getting lost and I wasn't prioritizing properly and I've built my systems and things that work for me now. Um, but there are a number of different ways for people to be organized. People's brains work in different ways. You know, what works for me might not work for someone else, but what are some things that you teach people when it comes to like staying organized, getting the most out of your time, you know, and just squeezing the most out of your day without burning out, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We actually have an entire module for that. It's module three workflow. Don't get run over by your work life. Yeah. And some of the things we talk about in there is prioritizing your most vital tasks, a lot of times, we come into the office. Maybe especially after the weekend, if you take, you know, the weekends off. I'm a seven day a weeker. I really am. Doesn't mean I don't get my own time to do my own thing. If I want to go snowboarding on Wednesday for a couple hours before work, I'm gonna go snowboarding on a couple for a couple hours. Or if I want to go fish for a day, I'm, I'm gonna do it because I'm dedicated all the time to. Like, I don't know, it's just, I can't turn it off sometimes, yeah. you know? So we, we have a whole module over that, but prioritization would be one. Here's another one I would say, color code, color code your calendar. Because sometimes you're like, man, I'm just so busy. Well, great, nobody's trying to be busy. We're trying to be productive, yeah. right? There's a difference between being busy and production. So color code your calendar. If you know that it's a family event, like for me, I think purple is my family because i used to be at rocky our colors were you know whatever i don't know purple is family green that's a work meeting right that's a money-making meeting yellow that's a networking event i can go i cannot go it just depends that's why it's yellow you know red doctor appointment uh holy cow it's an emergency (laughs) That's that's what the dentist is you know the doctor red uh, so color code your calendar because when you're wondering, man, how am I not being productive or where are my days are going, you can go back and look at your calendar. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, you have too many personal events. Or yeah, too many of this. Not enough green or whatever. Yeah. Right. And add all of your birthdays, anniversaries, special occasions. Just have them in there as a recurring annual thing that's there because so for a lot of years You know what I've done on my birthday? I've gone to football practice. Like, that's what I do, right? And I'm still going to coach my son's team and my daughter's team if she plays again this year. But if I don't like schedule my wife's birthday or schedule my son or daughter's birthday or our anniversary, I'll schedule right over it (laughs) because I send somebody a link. Hey, here's my link. Yeah. Schedule it out. Boom, it pops up on the calendar. I'm at it. Right? So I would say if you can prioritize your most vital tasks, write down the three most important things you need to get done for the day. Focus on it. Eliminate distractions. Turn off the notifications on your phone. Turn off the Facebook notification, the LinkedIn notification, the whatever, Snapchat, all the stuff that's out there. Turn off the notifications, your email. Listen, if you can't be away from your phone and your email for an hour, you definitely need to make some changes in your life because
0: it'll run your life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. It'll it'll you know, we, we want to work you know, we want to work in our businesses. We don't want our businesses, you know, working
1: us. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And then I would also say uh you need to design your routine. Your daily habits, routines, activities. I know I'm a very blessed individual. Tomorrow morning, I get to wake up, get my son ready, cook him breakfast and take him to school. Cause I'm blessed like that. Not every parent gets to take their kids to school yep. or pick their kids up from school. So I know unless it's a super important meeting or occasion, I am not available till eight thirty every single day. Then from eight thirty till about 10, 10 30. A lot of times I try to make that my gym time
0: mm-hmm.
1: because I just love going to the gym, I love pumping iron, I love getting my sweat on, and then I love sitting in the sauna. But you need that every day. You gotta have your mental reset, your attitude reset. And for me, boy, I go to the gym, I come out with so many endorphins, and so fired up that I'm ready to go. But I know once I get out of the gym, Boom. Here we go. It's phone It's phone call time. Yeah. Because for me, it's about phone calls. And I'm, I'm trying to make a minimum of 20 phone calls a day, minimum. Nice. Which isn't that much, considering I used to be a venture capitalist to make 200 phone calls a day. But a lot of those were, they didn't answer, you know, right. that kind of thing. 20 phone calls a day to people that you know, like, and trust, that know, like, and trust you. That's quite a bit, especially yeah. if they answer, because then you're having these.
0: You're having, you know, those are hours of conversations that exactly. you're, you're lining up if you're lucky, you know. Right. Right. Yeah.
1: And so. I would say, you know, if you can organize your routine, your most vital tasks, organize your routine, color code your calendar so that you can stay more organized and be productive. I would say those would be three things that your listeners could take from today and hopefully implement. All right, buddy. Well, I've asked all my questions. Well, i appreciate it well
0: i want to thank you for coming on man you've got a great story i think you're set up right now to be in a position to help a lot of people um thanks for telling us how to find you and i just think that you're in a position to you know with all of your experience your life experience your coaching experience your professional experience you've surrounded yourself with smart people you've done the work you're a hard worker you know, I just think that um, you know, people can learn a lot from you. I think you're in the right you're in the right you're in the right place, Isaac. So thank you. I appreciate you coming on and sharing what you've learned and you know, we're all rooting for you and uh we'll see you out there.
1: I appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity, man. All
0: right, buddy. Wasn't that great? Thank you, coach, for coming on and sharing your story. Uh it's always good to hear people who have persevered through adversity and um, done just some wonderful work and helping young people out and helping us out now. And so I really appreciate you coming on and spending some time with me. My name is Matt. This is none of my business. You can find me all over the place. You can find me at deetsagency.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at DeetsAgency, Agency. And uh, look me up and listen to the other wonderful guests I've had on the show. There's a lot of knowledge um, that's buried in in all of these episodes they don't go bad they don't go stale all this information is is good for a long long time so i really appreciate you listening thank you so much and uh, keep up the good work